Well, hello, everybody, and we are ready for Acts chapter 6, and it is a wonderful chapter. It really is. Um, but I just want to make sure that your Bibles are open, and you know that your Bible is God's Word, and every word is true, and it is all that you need. Oh, I pray that you know that God's Word is the book, especially nowadays. I mean, all the time, but I hope that people are realizing more and more that if they want answers to questions and if they want to stay away from the the fear of the unknown and all those kinds of things, that God's word is the answer. So I pray that your Bibles are open and that you're excited to get in them. So would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come to you, Lord, we are grateful for our open Bibles, for the words that are written, that we know that they are Jesus' words. Father, we are grateful that you have given us the tools that we need to understand, to be able to keep ourselves from drowning in, in fear and panic. And Lord, we know that you've given us not your spirit to give us the, the truth and to set us free with this truth, that we don't have to wake up every day in hopelessness, but we can wake up with hope and assurance that you are still in control. You are on the throne and you definitely are the blessed controller of all things. And for that, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, last week, of course, was um, kind of like a turning point in the church, um, and not a good one either, because we loved chapters 2 and 3 and 4, and it seemed like it, it really depicted that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it affects every part of you, and needs are met, and, and it's just, it's such a, it's just good all the way around. But then how quickly things can change, and that is when, when we kind of let our guard down, when, when we kind of let self and our human nature ways that appeal to the flesh, we let them sneak in. And then we watch the consequences and the results of that kind of behavior. And we saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. And, and two things that I've been kind of pondering this past week um, as I was studying the new lesson, but I kept going back to two lines where, where Peter first said to Ananias that you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then to Sapphira, he said that you agree to test the spirit of the Lord. And so I was given that some more thought. And, and the more I thought about it, the, the simpler it got. We lie to the spirit when we think that we don't have to listen to him. When we, we, don't, we don't even need him because we feel we're, we're, we're sufficient in and of ourselves. And that is a lie to the Holy Spirit. And that's what Ananias was basically saying. I can handle this. And that's why Peter confronted him with that. And then with Sapphira, when he said to her, you agree to test the spirit. I think testing the spirit, again, the more I thought about it, was you kind of are thinking, you know, that it really doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. Um, the Holy Spirit won't do anything about it. I mean, we we just, again, are believing that lie and test the, the spirit 
thinking that he really isn't going to listen or hear or notice or whatever. And boy, I just want to stress that again. That is That couldn't be farther from the truth. That, of course, we need the Holy Spirit. And yes, he does know. And he does want us to know that he is considering everything and there's consequences and and that yes this holy spirit that is within us is god himself and we saw that over and over in this story that they thought they were hiding something and yet god knew god even knows motives we talked about that well then we watched how the apostles were healing healing many and people were believing, and even though many could see that following Christ is a very serious decision, and, and it kind of made them hesitate, and that's good. Think about it. When you choose to follow Christ, there is a cost. There is a change in your life. You can't do what you used to do, and that is a good thing. We don't want to do. We don't want to be what we used to be. And yet, I love the, in verse 14 of chapter 5, that word nevertheless, nevertheless, even though they could see that it was a big decision and that it was a very important decision, they still wanted to have what they had because it was so worth it. It is so worth it to follow Jesus. I know people think that if you're a Christian, then you can do this and you can do that, and it's just a bunch of rules and but I'll tell you, it's just serving a God who loves us so much and is trying to keep us from falling into ourself. And then, of course, the consequences of that. And then we watch in that same chapter, we saw how then, you know, when you follow Christ, I said it costs. And, and then the Sadducees and the high priests, they threw the apostles in jail, but the angel of the Lord let them out. But the angels said two very important things. One was to go to the temple courts. And two is to make sure they, they preach and they tell people the full gospel, the full message of this new life, full message. In other words, don't, don't um, back away from the truth. Don't try to soften it. Don't try watering it down. Don't try just giving them part of it. No, they have to hear about the cross. They have to hear about repentance, confession and repentance. Make sure they know the whole gospel. Don't soften it. It is, it is the answer for our lives. And so then because they were willing to go out there and preach in the temple courts and preach this full message without watering it down, of course, then the whole Sanhedrin got together and, and had them appear before them. And the Sanhedrin gave them strict orders to not teach in this name they couldn't even say the name of Jesus. It's, they were ignoring the message again. And they gave them strict orders. And that's when Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And I stressed last week on how the men were not talking, we're not talking about the worldly, you know, pagan 
way of thinking. We're talking about leaders in the church. We're talking about religious, high religious, theological men. And Peter is saying we have to obey God rather than men. I think we're living in an age where a lot of religious leaders are starting to comply to the ways of the world and, and starting to move into the world's culture and, and they think that that's what they need to do to not turn people off or whatever. But, but when I look at what Peter said, we must obey God in his word, in his principles, and we can't stop standing on those principles. We can't, we can't just because society and culture is changing, we can't, we can't let God's word change because we know that his word stands firm in the heavens. We have to start standing up for what God says. And, and we, we just can't get wishy-washy and start accepting the ways of the world thinking that that's what's going to be necessary for, for people's salvation, because that is not it. Remember Acts 4.12, salvation, it's a non-negotiable. Salvation is found in none other. There is no name under heaven by which you and I could be saved other than the name of Jesus. Well, you know, when Peter said that, they were so terribly furious that they wanted to just put them to death. And then one of the highest on the totem pole, so to speak, on, at, in the Pharisee level, there was a man named Gamaliel. He was a teacher. He was highly respected. And now he stood up and said, hey, you know, you better, you better seriously consider. Consider carefully what you're going to do. And then he gave him two examples, and he basically said, you know what, if it's of the world, it will fail. If it's of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, don't even think about trying to fight against God. Well, then they, oh, they just, they agreed. They agreed with Gamaliel, but then they unjustly had the apostles flogged. And that, remember, is no, no little spanking. That was a tough beating where skin was ripped from the back, and, and yet they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing, not, not happy, and you know, isn't this fun, with them, which, which is ridiculous. That's not what rejoice means. Rejoice. There's joy there because they knew that they were counted worthy to be able to suffer disgrace and even pain for the name of Jesus. And that didn't stop them. When you are so sure of this message, it doesn't stop you. And it says day after day in the temple courts, even house to house. It didn't matter to them. Wherever there was an opportunity, they took that opportunity to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. So when you know and realize that you're a sinner, you can know and realize that you do have a Savior. And they were proclaiming that message. And that is a message they continue to take to the world so that you and I can know that. And then the church grew as we started Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples, the followers of Jesus, they were increasing. They were increasing. And, and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. The numbers are increasing, and, and 
remember we talked about that, how even though there was a lot of opposition going on, that the, the church still grew. That's, that should be so comforting and encouraging for us. You can't stop the gospel. Man can try, but the gospel will always continue. And so it was growing. But along with the growth comes, well, you're dealing with more humans. You're doing, dealing with more human beings, which then means that... Um, I think the church at this point is really starting to realize that, you know, um, well, you know how we say the honeymoon is over, or, you know, you finally realize the good old days of Acts 2, 3, and 4. Um, they're starting to see that reality. You know, you as long as you're dealing with human nature, you're going to deal with, with um, problems that pertain to selfishness and and then when we fall into that terrible category, you're going to start then here complaining. And, well, it happened. And there was the Grecian Jews, the Grecian Jews, and then it said the Hebraic Jews. The other name for Grecian Jews was Hellenists. Hellenists. Hellenist Jews. That's in the King James so I just don't want you confused if, if you've seen another name. It's Hellenist Jews or Grecian Jews. And what these were Jews, but they followed Greek culture. And then the Hebrew Jews, the Hebraic Jews, they followed Jewish culture. So there was there was two different kinds, yet they were Jews, but they they were different. Well, that's pretty much the same today, too. But what happened was that the Grecian Jews, they started complaining because it seemed that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, I just want to stop a minute and say, what is the bottom line problem here? And we can never, ever think that as strong as we become in the Lord and as we are growing and maturing, that our enemy, Satan himself, is going to give up on us. I remember we talked about he can't possess us anymore, but he sure can make us ineffective by having us fall to ourself so that all the our human nature starts coming out and our emotions get bigger than our faith and and actually we are not we are not effective for the kingdom of God when we're like that and that's all he cares he knows he doesn't he can't he can't possess us anymore but he sure will try to keep us from being effective so you can see from last week you can see that he started with oh using you know the leaders of the church he started using um intimidation he was trying you know when the whole sanhedrin got up there and and then talked to the apostles satan's goal was that the that the apostles would be so intimidated by all these religious leaders he, because satan is not afraid of religion he's afraid of jesus he doesn't want us to develop a relationship with Jesus. But religion doesn't scare him. 
And so there, there he is, you know, using this big Sanhedrin to try to intimidate the apostles to, to quiet them, to still them, so that they will become ineffective. Well, when that didn't work, when, when Peter and the apostles stood up and said, we, we must obey God rather than man, and we can't help but proclaim what we have seen happen to us, and we want for, for people, and we've been commissioned to go into all the world and tell this story so that people can have what we have, salvation in Jesus' name. Well, when, he, when, he, when Satan knew that that didn't work, I'll tell you, he will try anything, use anyone to make his plan work. He doesn't play fair. He will, like I said, he will use anything or anyone. So now he's using strife within the church. Now he's trying to create commotion. And what's more innocent than widows? And, and trying to make sure that they are cared for and they're supplied with what they need. Oh, he hits below the belt, believe you me. And the quicker we open our spiritual eyes and sense those red antennas, I call them the Holy Spirit antennas, when you, just, when you feel something just doesn't gel, you know that you've got to go back to Scripture and check things out, and you can, you can very well find out when something is really true or if he's just throwing some more lies. And, and like I said, he will use anything or anyone, and he's using the distribution to widows. He's trying to cause, cause strife within the church. Doesn't this sound familiar? I mean, how, how relevant are these lessons lately? So as this was happening, the 12 then noticed the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together. And this, they, they really handled this in such an ideal way. But, you know, we're going to have oppositions and we're going to have strife even among good people. I mean, I think of um, in Philippians where, where Paul talked about these two women, women that he loved and who worked well in the church, and he didn't go into why there was a disagreement, but there was strife between these two women. And he said, you know what? I don't know what their bug in their bonnet is all about, but they, you better make sure that that gets cleaned out. And he addressed, and it was only like a verse or two, but boy, I think when, when, the, um, when they read that letter, they understood, and they knew Paul understood that you've got to nip this. I remember one time I used to sing in this one church, and this church was a going church, and we loved to go there every year we went. And one particular year we went, and we noticed that, that there wasn't the crowd that there was a feeling that we just never felt before. And so I asked the pastor, I said, things just don't seem the same. And he said, they're not. He said, we split. Our church split right in half. And I said, you split? 
And he said, I'm embarrassed to tell you why. He said, it started out with two women that started disagreeing on where the offering plate should be put in the church. I mean, that's how simple, that's how little, that's how picky it can be. And Satan just loves to needle that. And it just blew up and it split the church. And Satan is standing back, just hallelujah in it. Because you think about when that news gets out and I mean, how ineffective for the gospel. And that's what, that's what I think we're learning in Acts. That's why we have to pick up on things when the apostles like Paul and the other letters, how they're trying to relate it to, to our day, saying, don't let picky things start dividing because then you're playing right into Satan's territory. But the apostles, they're filled with the Spirit and they knew how to handle this and they handled it as soon as it was brought to them. So the twelve gathered all the apostles together. It would be not right for us to, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That's what the apostles, that the twelve, remember the twelve disciples now turned twelve apostles. These twelve said it would not be right for them to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, when they said wait on tables, please don't think that they were trying to, to say that this was a menial job and they were too good to do any job like this and wait on tables. They weren't talking about the tables that, that you would be a waiter. They're talking about the tables that they would spread out so that the distribution that they were doing before, that these 12, they were responsible for making sure Remember when when um, Barnabas sold his property and it said that he laid it at the apostles' feet so that, that they could then distribute to where it was needed. So when they said it's not good for us to, to wait on tables, they're saying, you know what, it's taken away from our teaching and we have to study now, believe me, I get that. I mean, I know this is so little, but, but yet it's not. When I'm studying so hard, when it seems like, well, let's just say that when Tom sees that my head is on the table and my head is because I am, I am praying or I am thinking or I am searching, he knows that it's a serial night. He knows that it is not going to be a time where I put on a big spread for him. And he has never once complained. And like I said, I know that that's minor, but I get what they're saying here. We can't do it all. And with these kind of numbers, we can't be at the tables distributing and yet, that's cutting into our teaching time. It's cutting into our study time. I heard one time 
a Bible teacher told this. He said that he had a student come up to him and say, I'd give the world to teach the Bible like you. And he said, I looked at him straight in the eye and said, good, because that's exactly what it will cost you. This Bible teacher wanted to make sure that his student knew that you can know God's word without spending the time. You can look at someone and say, I wish I knew the Bible like you do. I wish I could teach the Bible like you teach. But it takes time and work and effort, and a lot of people don't want to put forth the time, the work, and the effort. And that's why that answer was so classic. I'd give the world to teach the Bible like you. Well, good, because that's what it's going to cost you. You might, have to, you might have to say no to things that you used to do all the time. You might have to say no to, to maybe more of your social life. And I think that's what we're seeing in chapter 6. And so he said, brothers, choose seven men. Choose seven men from among you. So those who are believers, so choose seven men from among you who are known. In other words, it's so noticeable. If someone is full of the Holy Spirit, it is noticeable. We've talked about that. And so he says, pick seven who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And why that combination full of the Spirit and but also wisdom because that means they're wise enough to know that they better listen and obey the Spirit when the Spirit is talking to them and leading them and, and showing them what direction. So they better be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom that they're wise enough to know that they better listen and obey. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Again, don't think they think they're any more important. It's just that we've all been given different gifts. These 12 have been handpicked, who've been with Jesus, who've heard him, watched him and now have been given the authority to go out there and tell the full message of this gospel and you know what look at verse 5 this proposal pleased the whole group because it was a very good move let's start to delegate a little bit I mean, I, I stop right there because I, I'm thinking, you know, you hear me all the time. But you don't know that I have a special friend that comes along and she turns the button so that you can hear me. That she is there to encourage to listen so that I at least have a face. I have another gal, her name is Sherry. And she is so good with technology. 
In fact, her motto is, if I don't understand, I'll find a way. Now, I could do that probably, but it would take me, it would take away from so much of the time that I need, that I know I need. See, it was a proposal that pleased the whole group because it's just a good idea to delegate. Because ministry takes a lot of different fingers and toes and different parts of the body so that the whole body works in one accord. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. So you're going to notice that the seven, their resume, they needed to be filled with the spirit and wisdom. But you're going to notice that Stephen, he had two more attributes. And one was faith. He was totally sold out. He totally, he totally carried this blessed assurance. He absolutely, I mean, he had faith. He believed it with his whole heart. So when it says that he was filled with faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then there was six more. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, they presented these seven men to the apostles. So they, it's kind of like they nominated these seven and yet they brought them to the apostles for the final say who totally agreed because they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And I think whoever was telling this to Luke, I think they were so taken by, even there were even priests that were believing, that that must have really been something. Priests who were so stuck in the old Judaism. You know, the Jews, they... We even have that today. We've got the Jews who are still stuck in the Old Testament. And then we have Jews who love their heritage, just like we all should love our heritage. They love being a Jew, but we call them converted Jews because they believe that Jesus came and the Old Testament is true. The New Testament reflects the fulfillment of the old. So there was even a number of priests that became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace, power. See, there, there was more. There was something special extra special about Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit, yes. 
But because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of wisdom, he was full of faith, he was full of power, and he was full of grace. And I, I, to me, that would be so my goal, that that's what I want. I want to be so filled with the Spirit so that it's not about me. I don't want to hear my voice, I want to hear his voice. It's not about my ideas, my opinions, my direction. No, I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that I am so wise to, to know that I better listen and obey God's word. I better be so full of the Holy Spirit that I have the power, the bold strength, and the confidence to be able to stand for what's right and true. And I don't back away from it. That I'm so full of the Spirit that I have faith, that I believe I have all the, the assurance in the world that this is true. And I don't even have to see it. I do see something though. I can see faith taken old in my life. I can see it. And that is when I look in the mirror, I see what faith that I really can't see because I've never actually seen Jesus, actually seen that old wooden cross or that he actually came out of the grave, that this Bible, every word is true. But because I'm filled with his spirit, my faith will not waver. And I watch him change me. And then I'm so filled with the Spirit that I see grace. And that's what it said. Stephen was full of God's grace. And we should want that grace, that, that compassion, that unconditional love for people that are not even lovable, that don't even deserve because it goes back to we didn't either and Jesus loved us anyway. See, when, when you are, and that's why the qualities of Stephen, he was so filled with the Spirit that he was wise. He stood on his faith. He had the power and the confidence to not shy away. And what uh, attribute for a deacon dealing with widows and distribution to people who would need it so desperately. He had the compassion and the unconditional love. So those four attributes of Stephen, I, I, I just so want for myself, and I hope you do too, and to think when you're filled with the Spirit, You'll have wisdom, faith, power, and grace. And he, he had the ability to do great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. But here we go again. Opposition arose from among members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. I didn't really understand that. It, 
And again, you know, when you go back and you kind of look into what does that mean, the synagogue of the freedmen, and you can take this for what it's worth, but it was a synagogue that was started by particular men who had once been slaves and now set free. So as a opposition arose from the members of this synagogue and from Jew and also from the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the providences of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Now, what does that say to you? What does that say to you? I mean, they, these men tried to argue, but I can just see Stephen stand again with, again, so filled with his spirit that wisdom came out of his mouth and power and faith, assurance and grace. They couldn't stand up against this wisdom or the spirit. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say because they couldn't stand up to the Holy Spirit and the way Stephen presented himself. They secretly, then they had, to, they had to lie. So they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. If you want to see the difference between, like we've been seeing so much, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like and this is the way the fruit of self looks like. If you want to see a real, genuine, Holy Spirit-filled heart, then you see Stephen and you see his behavior. You see his confidence. And then you look at these leaders, these religious leaders, and look at their secretly persuading men to say lies. See, that's what it looks like. That's why we should, this is so black and white. It's so clear. I don't know how you can miss it. Which way do you want it to be in your particular life? Do you want to be like Stephen or do you want to be like these leaders? Oh, yeah, they carried a big stick. Oh, yeah, they had a lot of popularity. Oh, yeah, people looked up to them felt pretty good, but it was all about themselves. And there, like I said last week, there's phony as a $3 bill. Or do you want to be real and genuine? So they stirred up the people. That's what they did. They stirred up the people. Verse 12, and the elders and the teachers of the law Oh, sure, they're so good at that. They get everybody all worked up. Remember we talked about last week how sin can get passed on? How Ananias could 
could influence Sapphira with this plan and make it sound and look so appetizing and good. But then we also said that everyone still has their own choice to make. And now that verse in James, and, I, and I'm just going to read it to you because I want to make sure that you, you understand this. It says in James 1 verse 13, when tempted, no one can say that God is tempting me. No man can tempt another man. But God will never tempt you. The devil will use something or someone to dangle that temptation in front of you. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So you've got, you've got these men who are opposing Stephen because they can't stand up to his wisdom and the spirit of God. They secretly persuade other men to come and, and spread lies about Stephen. And they're probably really good at it. So then they get everybody all worked up and stirred up. But I pray that there was a few that said, you know what, this doesn't feel right. And they walk away. It doesn't say, I'm just hoping, because you see, we can say no to the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation is too powerful. There is no temptation too powerful. And you think, well, I can't help it. Well, you've got to remember what Paul says. There's no temptation too great. You can't say you couldn't help it because if you, the rest of that verse says, if you look to the Lord, he will let you find a way out. He will give you a way of escape. But there are so many that get so caught up into it. They get caught up in the emotion. And they bow right into it. And they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. They produced false witnesses who were very good at this, stirring everybody up, and said that he never stopped speaking against this holy place, against the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs of Moses. See, why couldn't they just be open to listen? Because if they really 
want to ignore. And if they really listened, they would have found that Jesus of Nazareth came to fulfill the customs of Moses. That was Jesus' job, and he did it. And we are grateful. You know, it's just, it's just so hard when you're falsely accused. You know, it's one thing when you're guilty and you're caught. But if you've ever been falsely accused, it's just never pleasant. I've been falsely accused many times. And I can remember a couple of times I thought for sure that it was just going to destroy the ministry that I that the Lord had been right next to me with for years and years. But he taught me something really wonderful as much as it hurts when you are when people say false things about you. There comes a time when you ask the Holy Spirit to just fill you so that you live it out with wisdom and with faith and with power and with grace. And I have watched everything that was said falsely about me. I've watched the Lord. Because you know what? If it's a man, it'll fail. But if you are of God, it will stand. And you know, it, this, this whole thing, I look at Stephen and he was, such, he was such a beautiful example. You talk about the way Jesus stood and took it. Then you watch Stephen stand there and take it. What's so beautiful is that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They watched him because they knew they were lying through their teeth. And the normal human response is to fight and to scream and to totally get out of control. And so they were sitting there watching intently. And did you notice how this chapter ends? And they saw that his face was like that of an angel. That's what they saw in his countenance. A verse in the psalm says, when you look to him, you're radiant. Because what does it mean? What does it mean that Stephen had the face of an angel? I don't think it meant that he had this halo around the top of his head. I think in the midst of all these lies, when you're filled with the Spirit, it shows. And he had a confidence. He had an assurance. He was so filled with Jesus and what Jesus had done for him that out of him, came love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What a beautiful, what a beautiful visual. 
there's this little chorus that I used to sing and if it had been written at this time, I think Stephen would have been singing it. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Next week, we we will hear how Stephen stands and in 60 verses expresses his heart, tells the full message of the gospel. He starts where they can identify and he doesn't miss a word. None of us knows what the Lord's going to call us to do for him. I mean, we, we don't know, because I look at Stephen and I think, why would, why would something like this happen to a man that can be used so greatly for God's kingdom, for the beginning church? But I think in this day and age, it's a great lesson for us. We don't know what we're going to be up against. And Stephen is such a beautiful example. Can you take a look at your heart as I evaluated mine this week? Can I, can I, or do I desire to be and continue to be filled with his spirit so that then the spirit can produce wisdom, faith, power, and grace through it all. Father, we thank you again for this lesson. Your words are true. The people in it are real. And they all have a purpose. And may we take a look at this lesson and see what it looks like when we're filled with you versus when we're filled with pride and our own self. Father, we have learned that you take sin very seriously. But Father, you also bless those who love you. And you give them, maybe not an easy life or an easy time, but you give them something far more than that. You give them an ability to know clear direction. You give them a faith and assurance that they don't have to sway from. You give them power that they can be bold and confident. And you give them grace so that we can live this life the way Jesus did. Father, we just give you praise for who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for starting grace because we are totally undeserved. But Lord, may we be so thankful and grateful for what you've done for us that we now in turn want to live and, and look at these examples that you've put in here and know that every one of us can be like Stephen, be like the apostles. 
Father Jesus needs to be told because salvation is found in none other. We love you. Father, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.